This is the business of sports. We're in a situation that we haven't dealt with in modern times. The pandemic here has really accelerated the investments that we've been advocating for for years. From a macro standpoint, I think our sport industry is really forced to look at the business a little bit differently. In-depth conversations with the leaders in the sports industry. Who wants to be the sacrificial lambs that shows up at the first big major sporting event? We're part of something much bigger than sport right now, and the health and safety of our stakeholders is what's most important. Every moment, I think we're all from a business perspective thinking about the impact that the virus is having across the country. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hi, everyone. I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Mike Lynch. And I'm Michael Barr. Over the next hour, we will explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. That's right. Coming up, we're going to catch up with Gary Bettman, commissioner of the NHL. Heard of him. Of course, hockey dropping the puck just recently. They are back at play. Very few fans, but on the TV, as they say. So we'll catch up with him about all the money issues that go into putting on a different sort of season. But guys, we got to start with what's been happening in the world of sports this week. And certainly the biggest news across baseball and across the tri-state area, the Mets, they've got a new owner. They had a new GM, but he's gone now. Let's listen to what Sandy Alderson, the president of the Mets, had to say about Jared Porter. We responded as, I think, uh, quickly as we possibly could, given the fact that we needed to sort out the facts and uh, deliberate on this. But uh, nonetheless, uh, you know, we we uh, acted and decided that he needed to be uh, let go. Pretty clear cut case, uh, Lynchy. And of course, mm. uh, this was based on some pretty terrific investigative reporting by ESPN. Mina Kimes, the lead byline on that story it came out Monday and by Tuesday, uh, Jared Porter was gone, uh, given his pretty abhorrent behavior uh, when it came to some text messages that he sent a reporter back in 2016, before, obviously, he was with the Mets. He was with the Cubs uh, at the time. Swift action, uh, certainly by Stevie Cohen and Sandy Alderson here. Yeah, this, they had no other choice. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to get into detail here because my mother listens to this podcast, but uh, I am ashamed to say that he did go to high school here uh, outside of Boston. Uh, he worked for the Red Sox for 12 years, and he went to Bowdoin College up in Maine. So that's all I got on this one. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're in, a, in an era where there is very little tolerance, in a good way, Michael Barr, for this sort of behavior and, uh, you know, a – Again, maybe a tough decision, but maybe not so tough a decision once you uh, really get the facts, as we heard Sandy Alderson just say. Well, we still are trying to get more of this in, but a lot of facts are in to the point enough that the Mets said, hey, you got to go. And obviously it's not good. And like Lynch, you said, uh, the team didn't have much of a choice here. Yeah, I mean, a dramatic fall for sure. And, you know, certainly goes to things we've talked about on this program and elsewhere around, you know, the culture of big sports, professional sports, and, you know, the things that, you know, probably were allowed or looked past for a long time. You know, on a more positive note, uh, you know, as we think about what could change some of these cultures, part of it is – women getting a shot at big jobs, both on the field and off the field, and the Super Bowl coming up in just a couple weeks, and we'll talk in a minute about uh, who may be playing in that. But we do know uh, one of the officials, the first woman, Sarah Thomas, she will be on the field uh, at the Super Bowl, and, you know, 
at the beginning of a year where I feel like lots of people are a little more hopeful, whether it comes to the pandemic or, or other things, Lynchy, this is a good one. This is a good one. Good to see Sarah Thomas. Uh, you know, she'll trot out there at the Super Bowl in Tampa. It'll be a different sort of Super Bowl, but this is a good difference. It's a great, uh, great story and well-earned and well-deserved. Sarah Thomas has been uh, a National Football League official since uh, 2015. This is her sixth year. Uh, what a great week for a woman. Kamala Harris, first uh, woman vice president of the United States. Uh, she was actually introduced by another Sarah, Sarah Fuller, the uh, right. mm-hmm. soccer player from Vanderbilt who kicked uh, an extra point in a Vanderbilt football game. But this Sarah Thomas, uh, you know, you, you notice her when she's – uh, you first notice her when, because you see the ponytail sticking out of her hat right. when she's working an NFL game. But as one player said, after that, I didn't notice her, which is the best compliment you can give to mm-hmm. an official because she just does her job. And one thing I found out when I was researching her, she did a game in 2016, and she broke her wrist during the game. Mm. They went into the concussion protocol into the tent. She came back and finished the game with a broken wrist. So if anybody out there is questioning Sarah's toughness, take that, baby. Yeah, exactly. Um, So, Barr, there will be a Super Bowl. It looks like the NFL, you know, has gotten there. And, you know, we'll see. We don't know, obviously, who's going to play. We're coming up this weekend on, I have to say, this is my favorite NFL weekend of the year because the Super Bowl is the Super Bowl. But the conference championships, they're there for the chance to play in the Super Bowl. And, you know, I'll, I'm going to go to you first, Barr, because I know how Lynchy feels about one of the players uh, who's going to be playing uh, in the NFC Championship game. But uh, what do you make of the NFL as we get to Championship Weekend? Well, I have a father-in-law who is a die-hard Buffalo Bills fan. Yeah. And oh. I went on the air this past week because I was asked, who do you think is going to make it to the Super Bowl? And I said, Kansas City against Green Bay. Oh, boy. And yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, it, it was, it was bad dinner. enough. Yeah, oh, yeah. And, and the couch is comfortable this time of the year. And, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I see that happening. And, uh, and that would be a great matchup as well. But if Buffalo gets there, look out. And, and please, Buffalo, if you get there, don't make it five times you've been there and then you oh. lost. You know, at least pull something out, man, for my father-in-law. Yeah, well, as a Braves fan, I feel I, I feel the Bills' pain on some of that, although at least the Braves <laughs> managed to win one along the 90s. Um, it's tough to be called the Buffalo Bills of anything. That certainly has been applied in a number of cases. Meanwhile, uh, in the NFC, Lynchy, a couple of uh, older gentlemen uh, facing off this weekend. Yeah, we've got uh, Mr. Allstate, uh <laughs> Aaron Rodgers and uh boy if he pops up in one more commercial <laughs> I know. And, the Rodgers um, right. Yeah, the Rodgers right and I unfortunately <laughs> I think the Super Bowl is going to be the Rodgers right against the Mahomes right and yeah. uh, it pains me to say that uh, Tom Brady and his Buccaneers I will be rooting for them but I think the game being played at Lambeau I think the Green Bay offense is really in gear, as is the Tampa Bay offense. But I don't think the Tampa Bay defense is as good as the Green Bay defense. And so I think that the Green Bay will prevail. And I think uh, Kansas City, if they need to score 24 points to win, they'll do it. If they need to score 74 points to win, they're capable of doing that as well. So it's going to be a repeat of Super Bowl One. 
the Green Bay Packers and the Kansas City Chiefs some 55 years later. There we go. The more things change, gentlemen, the more they stay the same. Uh, Just one quick note. We are uh, hopefully going to get some news, and and maybe by the time you listen to this, this news will be out. The Atlanta Dream, very close to being sold. This, of course, is a team that we've talked about a few times on this show, the WNBA team that found itself at odds with its owner, uh, now former Senator Kelly Loeffler. She will no longer own the team uh, and be involved with it based on the reporting that we've seen. Uh, We'll be interested to see who picks that up. But uh, in the meantime, Michael Barr. You know, before I start to wrap this up, I was thinking of Super Bowl one, And (laughs) the only thing that has changed are those double-breasted suits, man. It's like Hank Stram on the sideline with that double-breasted, man. Oh, see, now they need to bring that back. That's good, man. Sorry. All right. Old the kids out there are Googling double-breasted suits, <laughs> Super Bowl one. Oh, they just, look good. Just wait till later in the show, guys. You're going to get a call back. Now Panarin, Fox again. Sets up Panarin. Save Blackwood. Rebound. Score! He's looked carefully at that, but do not call it. Lindbaum springing Konechny, trying to catch up to the puck. He does. In on goal. He scores! They don't get much bigger than this. We're talking with the commissioner himself, Gary Bettman of the National Hockey League. Gary, really nice to have you with us, especially because pucks are dropping. It feels good. It feels good. How are you doing? I'm doing fine in these uh, challenging and ever-changing times. Uh, But it's great to be back on the ice and the season's off to a terrific start. And like everybody else who's trying to play, we're dealing on a daily basis with making sure we're keeping our players, uh, our supporting staffs and the communities we play in as healthy as possible. So let's start off by talking about that. Uh, you know, we're talking to you, and this is fast moving. So we're we're taping this on Thursday, January twenty first. You know, tell us sort of the state of the league when it comes to health and wellness. How you've had to adjust, given that we are still in the midst of this global pandemic, for sure. Well, if we take a step back, as I think most people know, over the summer we had a hugely successful return to play to complete the. 2019-2020 season by putting the, the clubs that were participating in the return to play and the playoffs into two bubbles, one in Edmonton and, and one in Toronto. And we were able to administer 33,000 tests over a roughly two-month period to, to all of the playing personnel and didn't have one positive test. Uh, but we knew to play this season it would be a little more challenging because we couldn't really expect the players to be away from family and friends for six months while we played an entire season. And so what we had to do was create the right protocols, the right framework, uh, and the right logistics to to try and minimize the risk of COVID-19 to the extent possible, and that's what we've done. Uh, And like the other leagues, we've had a handful of, of positive tests we're managing it. Uh, but what we also had to do, which was a little more unique for us, is we have seven teams in Canada out of our 31 teams, and crossing the border between Canada and the U.S. is an obvious issue. So we've actually had to realign. And by doing what we've had to do, and, and the way we're doing it, is we're now realigned into four different divisions than we typically play in. Uh, they're as geographically proximate as they can be to reduce travel. 
uh, teams are only playing within their divisions, and obviously there's a Canadian division, uh, and that's how we're trying to manage getting through this. And whether it's travel protocols and teams staying in the identical hotel in each market when there is traveling, using more of a baseball-style schedule where when you go into a, a community to play as a visiting team, you play more than one game. Right. So we've been doing a variety of things coupled with our 200 plus page protocols uh, to try and make sure everybody who touches the game in any way is, is doing it under the absolute right conditions. And obviously for the most part, and unfortunately we're not able to have fans uh, right. in most of our buildings right now. Who better to ask this question than to the man himself? And I, I brought this up several weeks ago about the, uh, it's an ingenious idea to have advertisements on the helmets uh, in today's game. Uh, and that's got to be a big revenue source for teams all around the league, sir. Well, the, there are two parts to that. One, uh, we are obviously revenue challenged without fans in attendance. Roughly 50% of our revenues are attributable directly or indirectly to attendance fans in the buildings. But secondly, it hasn't been a revenue generator. It's been a revenue retainer Mm -hmm. because to the extent that our clubs needed to make rebates, either because we're playing a short season, 56 games as opposed to 82, uh, or there aren't fans present in the building. Uh, this enabled our clubs, in, a, in addition to a variety of other things that we're doing, uh, to give value to their business partners in a way that enabled them to retain the revenue that they otherwise would have been expecting. Uh, but it has turned out to be a, a really uh, positive thing from from a business partner standpoint, then we've done other things, whether or not the glass wrap or the, the virtual insertion in the slot area by the blue lines or the tarps with advertising covering the empty seats that makes the game look more like a studio instead of playing in what would otherwise look like an empty building. So it's, it's been a good way to test drive some of these new assets, uh, the extent to which we retain some or all of them. The jury will be out. We'll evaluate how it worked uh, at the end of the season. Gary, it's Mike up in Boston. Um, I know you gave uh, naming rights to the four different divisions. I think it's Scotiabank, mm-hmm. Honda, Discover, and Mass Mutual. Uh, so the obvious question here is, when you look at other some other sports, the NBA has done it, uh, jersey signage. Is that something that's a, a possibility? You know, we, we've been talking about that for a while, and, and a lot of people have commented, that by doing the helmet logos, that's just the first step. You know, we, we believe that, that our jerseys, our sweaters, uh, uh, are the most traditional, uh, best in all of sports. And the, the value, which seems to be ever-increasing, may get to a point where, where we can stop resisting it. Um, but at the present time, we don't have plans to do that. Uh, and the things that we are doing don't necessarily lead to that place, but our clubs are increasingly hearing, and I'm increasingly hearing from our clubs, that that may be valuable. Having said that, uh, the, the research we've done, for example, on the, on the helmet uh, placement uh, is most fans don't seem to mind it at all, particularly the younger fans. Traditionalists, the older people like us, 
uh, tend to focus on it a little more initially, but it, it isn't getting a, a negative reaction. Um, and most people tend to understand that this is a pretty unique situation we find ourselves in right now. And people seem to be very understanding of the fact that, you know, under these circumstances, you got to do what you got to do. But as I said a moment ago, this season uh, is giving us uh, an opportunity to test drive some of these things. And were these things, Gary, you know, in general, sort of already in the works and it accelerated or were there things that sort of came up in in brainstorming or or is it a mixture of both? Well, principally, the implementation for this year uh, was brainstorming as we anticipated playing under these circumstances and playing a reduced season. Um, You know, people have been talking about these things in varying degrees. Uh, but also keep in mind some of the things that we're doing in the arena, uh, such as the tarps, you couldn't do right. if if there were fans in the building. So this was really uh, my organization on the business side, led by Keith Wachtel, uh, really brainstorming to help our clubs come up with assets that would enable them, as I indicated, to retain revenues that they might otherwise have to credit back. So, Gary, we're talking a lot about the economics of the NHL, but you know as well as anyone, you've been in this job for a long time, sports transcend economics in many ways. And you were quoted recently as saying, I believe on a webinar, that would have been cheaper not to play than to play. So why go ahead? Uh, we, we, I was quoted as saying that, and I did say that. The, the fact of the matter is the expenses of operating obviously are, are greater than if you're not operating. And we found ourselves in a situation with roughly 50% of our revenues impacted where if you did the pure adding up the dollars and cents and subtracting uh, the expenses, it would have been cheaper not to play. But uh, that's not what our owners our clubs, our players wanted, and we know it was important to our fans and it was one of the four major sports. Uh, we felt we had an obligation to the game. And first and foremost, however people view sports owners and, and their investments, uh, at least the hockey owners across the board are passionate about the game and they wanted to see the game played. And so the issue really wasn't the economics, by the economics, it was really more as we've talked about, health and safety. And the the good news for us is we have an economic system with our players where the revenues we take in is in direct correlation to what we pay out to the players. And that may provide some cash flow issues in the short term in terms of getting some of the money back if we're overpaying. Um, Overall, even taking that into account where the players may be paid less, uh, the out-of-pocket losses are substantial. Um, but, you know, we just decided it was more important to play. There is a recent story that's out about uh, a problem that happened uh, just very recently with the pucks. Apparently, I guess yeah. there's a chip in the pucks, and I guess there was a problem with the finishing of the of the pucks, and, and I'm, I'm still not exactly clear what happened. Can you explain that, sir? Yes, and, and, it, and it's unfortunate. And I'm not going to excuse it, although when you hear my explanation, you'll say, well, that makes sense. Uh, We used the puck in the playoffs last year in the return to play. We used it in the conference finals and the finals, and there was no issue. 
Uh, pucks were then manufactured over the summer and in the off season for this year. And the puck is the puck in terms of its 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 uh, exact specifications, its weight, uh, its size, its composition is what it's supposed to be. Uh, but the finishing, there was an element of the finishing that was neglected to be done, which you really wouldn't know because to look at the puck, you really couldn't tell. You wouldn't know until you played with it. And because we are playing an abbreviated season and we had no exhibition games, we didn't know that this was not a, a, a batch of pucks that was up to par. It was a bad batch, and they're being fixed. And we only learned about it uh, as we started playing games. If we had played preseason games, we would have known about it pretty quickly. Although you can't overreact because when you look at the objective specs on the puck, you, you can look at it and know it's fine. And sometimes a puck will bounce or be slow because of ice conditions. But we were able to determine pretty quickly after we got feedback that something had been wrong in the process because the puck wasn't performing in terms of sliding. I mean, listen, the puck was the same and is the same for both teams. But in terms of maximum performance, it wasn't performing the way we like to see our puck perform. And we got to the bottom of it, determined what the problem was, and a new batch of pucks are being manufactured with making sure that every last element of the finishing is taken care of. Uh, it was unfortunate, particularly because people don't realize, most people, that we actually used it and it was fine at the end of last season. Gary, since I'm up in Boston, I'll ask the big bad Bruins question here. Um, <laughs> Recently, uh, you find the Washington Capitals 100,000 because uh, a bunch of players congregated in a hotel room. And um, the NFL went through the same thing, and they uh, started out with $100,000 fines. They hit the Patriots with 350, the Saints with 500,000. And it looks like the same uh, sort of warnings here uh, that you could f uh, be fined, forfeit draft picks, or actually forfeit a game. How far would, would, would the league go in, in, in dis disciplining people who don't follow protocol? You know, it, it's not so much about the punishment. Uh, our players, and as we indicated in our discussion a few minutes ago, the the uh, players' willingness to be in the bubble in the return to play for 1920 and their compliance with the protocol was and has been extraordinary. Uh, and overwhelmingly, the players do the right things. Uh, I think you had a few players, less than a handful, who did something that violated the protocol. They acknowledged, uh, at least one did on their behalf, that, that it was the wrong thing to do. To me, the fine was more about getting everybody's attention and making sure that we're getting compliance across the board. And overwhelmingly, the players and our other personnel have been great getting compliance. Uh, I think what we did by announcing the fine was making sure that we had everybody's attention and everybody understood what was required. It was more of, of uh, an additional wake-up call and making sure everybody was focused on the importance of the protocols. I, I don't think there's going to be needs for lots more fines on an ongoing basis. Uh, our personnel, both on and off the ice, really get it and have been great uh, throughout so, Gary, you have mentioned that roughly 50% of revenue comes from fans in the buildings, ticket sales, concessions, I would imagine is all lumped into that merchandise, etc. So, as you look at sort of the revenue pie going forward, some of the changes that you've made, this is a league that 
it, during your long tenure, dating back to the mid-90s, you, 10 times the revenue has increased uh, by most estimates, probably a little more than that, by this moment. What does this topsy-turvy world that we've been talking about do in terms of the mix going forward, revenue growth? How do you look at this from a pure kind of revenue business perspective in terms of what this may set you back? That's a great question. So when I took over in 1993, I think revenues were around $400 million. Uh, And for the 1920 season, uh, our projections, and we were on track until the middle of March, would be about $5 billion. Um, And so we've had great growth. Uh, There's been growth in hockey both at our level uh, and at the grassroots level in terms of participation. Uh, And we continue to see uh, prospects for growth, whether it's social media, digital platforms, or even traditional media, the interest in our game continues to grow, uh, and I think our revenues will continue to grow. Uh, the fan base has also been enhanced by the addition of a franchise recently in Las Vegas. We have another one coming in Seattle for the start of the 21-22 season, uh, and that makes our game and our footprint and our presence in terms of hockey overall even greater. So what we're dealing with right now uh, is, is I think, a short-term phenomenon, although I think people would quarrel with a year being short-term. But the point is we're going to get through this at some point, and I think our business will come out of it uh, stronger and will continue to grow. Well, Commissioner Bettman, you went from a brilliant question to now my silly, stupid question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to bluntly say it, and I'll tell you why I'm asking. Do you miss Peter Puck? And I want to explain to people what Peter Puck was. It explained the game way back in the early 70s to people who may not have known what hockey was all about. So you had this animated Puck, and it's like Peter Puck here, and he's telling you what the game is. Now in Detroit, we yes, thank you. Thanks for explaining icing. Yeah, we're Detroit. We know. We got the Red Wings. But I'm wondering if there will ever be a day where the NHL and other sports have tried it also – to, to broadcast to children to explain the game, what hockey is all about? You know, it, it, it's a great question. Uh, and Peter Puck had his day and had his time and <laughs> was great. But I, I think for the most part, our fans and sports fans in general uh, don't need that in the middle of the game. There are enough uh, ways to get any information you want. We have all sorts of tools and assets and websites and apps that can teach you uh, more about the game. But what your question leads to is, you know, people remember the Fox puck in the mid-'90s, which was ahead of its time. It it was primitive then, although it was that technology that led to the insertions for the first and ten line in football. And now we have puck and player tracking. We were talking about the puck before, uh, where you can really – use technology to get inside the game, particularly if you're a newer fan, to see what's going on, to get more data, to really get a sense of the game, which, because our game is so fast, having the ability to get data, the data that you want to understand that is great. Video games has helped as well. So at the time, Peter Puck was great, but I I don't think we need it now. However, the one thing that I'm fascinated about, and and it was a really good move, was the Nickelodeon NFL Mm -hmm. broadcast, Mm -hmm. uh, which was particularly attractive to kids. And I think that's something 
that all sports can take a look at. While our demos tend to skew younger uh, and more tech-savvy than the other sports, doing something that particularly reaches young people in that way I think is a great innovation. Gary, uh, because of COVID, obviously you've had to cancel the Winter Classic and the Stadium Series, but you're going to have two games out in Lake Tahoe, and that fascinates me, uh, A, because I'm interested in the logistics, B, the Bruins will be playing the Flyers, and yep. C, is, is, will it be a, a league-wide revenue-sharing event? Well, first of all, uh, we're excited to do it because losing the outdoor games, which has been spectacular for us, uh, taking the game back to its roots, playing outside and playing in front of crowds that, that are much, much larger than our players are used to playing in front of them. I mean, we've had games with over 100,000 people uh, in the snow. It's great. So we wanted to at least have uh, an event for television where our fans could see something special in the season in the absence of the outdoor games, the Winter Classic, or even, even the All-Star game. And that was the theory behind it. Um, it, it. You see the lake, you see the mountains, you see the snow. Uh, it's a beautiful setting, and, and we think it'll make for a great telecast, and we know our players will have fun with it. From a revenue standpoint, there are no fans there. This, this is not a revenue producer. This is, again, one of these things that creates revenue retention, uh, and gives us the ability to deliver something special to our broadcast partners and and to our fans. So, Gary, on the topic of, of broadcast partners, just as we as we wrap up here, talk to us about that element of the business. Obviously, it has been a focus of yours, I think, to say the least, during your tenure uh, as commissioner. It's a really important source of revenue across professional sports. Where does sort of the broadcast conversation go from here, and especially in light of the fact that this is how people are consuming almost all sports? We can't go and, and watch our, our favorite teams anymore. So how does that equation change? Do you think about it differently, the, the broadcast side? Well, connecting with, with our fans in any way that possible to bring them closer to the game, whether it's the games themselves or all access shows or other shoulder programming, all of that's important. Uh, NBC's been a, a, a wonderful partner going on 15 years, uh, and we're constantly looking at opportunities uh, to expand our reach uh, and our revenues, both uh, on traditional media and, and on digital platforms. And I think you're going to see more and more uh, evolution and inclusion to uh the digital platforms because fans are, are wanting to get what they want, when they want it, and how they want it. And we need to be sure that we're hitting all of the touch points appropriately. Well, Gary, it has been really, really good to catch up with you. Thank you so much. We know it's a really busy time and uh, look forward to having you back before too long, maybe as we get toward the end of the season and you can share some of your learnings with us because uh, we know there's there's a lot of learning going on these days, uh, to say the least. Really appreciate the time. Thank you for having me and uh, everybody should be safe and stay healthy. All right, guys, so good to catch up with Gary Bettman. Timely, to say the least. Uh, sorry about Peter Puck. Uh, <laughs> bar. Um, I brought that up to my 16-year-old, and I'm not even going to say what he thought I said, but I'm like, look, yeah. this, was a, this was a big thing back in my day. Yeah. So 
It's huge. It's huge. Yeah, it's, they need uh, me to showing, your, yeah. <laughs> showing our age, though, Bar. That's what we're doing. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Uh, so, so Lynch, what do you think? I mean, you know, listen, this is a guy who's been through. We didn't get into, you know, all the labor issues he's had to deal with over the past yep. uh, two decades, almost three decades that, that he's been in the job now. Um but hockey rolls on. I mean, you see it uh, up yes, close and yeah. personal. Not as up close and personal as you probably once did, given that there are no fans yeah. in the stands. But what do you make of the NHL right now? I think the the biggest thing that's happened to the NHL is their deal with the NBC and the NBC yeah. Sports Network. Uh, They're on a, a national platform seven nights a week. And before that, it was really hard to, to, to sustain a national broadcast partner. NBC would be in for three years, and CBS would be in, and they'd be out, and then ABC would be in, and ABC would be out. And they've got a, a partner now, and they've got that other, you know, the NBC Sports Network is another outlet. Um, the second thing that grabbed me was uh, when I, I asked him the question about the Washington Capitals fine of $100,000. Yeah. Uh, and he said, you know, I don't foresee anything uh, deeper coming for that. It was just an attention grabber for everybody in the league. Like, hey, we're serious with these protocols. But the question I want to ask him is, who ratted out the guys that were in the hotel room yeah. with the Washington mm. Capitals? Does someone drop a dime? I, I mean, do they have like a do they have like a league detective that patrols every floor in these hotels? I I, I don't know, but and, and, An and the guy who, who Twitter account, <laughs> yeah. But the yeah. the guy the guy who the guy who manned up and fessed up was Alex Ovechkin, the yeah. Uh, yeah. the probably one of the great greatest players in the National Hockey League ever, and uh, so I thought that was kind of interesting. What'd you make of it, Barb? What'd you What'd you think of him? Well, I I there were several points. One uh, involved the and the decals on the helmets yeah. by how the game has changed. And he and he said something that made perfect sense. It's like, look, you got to do what you got to do. I mean, th- this isn't so much as a, a revenue maker, but more as a revenue keeper. And that really struck me as like. Well, this is what you have to do to survive in this game. I think that's going to stick around as as time goes along because once we get back on our feet, I think the clubs are going to say, hey, there's money to be made in having uh, the decal on our helmet. So let's see what happens. One of the things I found so interesting, Lynchy, was this idea that this is – while ultimately, you know, this is – Revenue continues to grow, and I mean the figures during his tenure are pretty amazing. To go from 400 yeah. or so million to five plus billion, and you know maybe a little hiccup this year, but we'll see where where that ends up. But the notion that what they're really looking for right now is revenue retention. This is still triage. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, yes, right. maybe we can see some light at the end of the tunnel, but the reality is this has been brutal. If you make 50 percent of your money from people coming yep. through the gates and there are no butts in seats, that's bad. Yeah, it is. And uh, we know that the uh, National Football League um, gets 75% of their revenue from television. It's yeah. only 25 for game day. NBA, uh, Major League Baseball, rather, is at 40%. But they have you know so many national contracts uh, with TBS and uh, ESPN and uh, – and ABC in the finals, and the National Hockey League doesn't doesn't have that. They've always been the, you know, the poor child at the bottom of the uh, the four major sports teams. But um, you know, I was surprised that you know when I read that uh, I saw the webinar when he said you know we we might as well just uh, just cancel the season because it's going to lose over a billion dollars. Yeah. But the owners, you know, they want to stay relevant, and, and, and they'd rather play and lose money than be irrelevant on the sports landscape. Yeah, I mean, my my two cents, which is worth nothing, is l- worth less than no, two cents. Is, is yeah. you you got to yeah. play? There's no question. Like yeah. if you're if you're an yeah. owner, I mean, if if you hung it up, I just I feel like 
that would be it, it wouldn't necessarily kill the league, but it would set them back years if they decided not without to play. Question. Without, yeah. without question. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since the kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Time, everybody, for the number of the week. Huddle around the set, gang. You can come along and play, too. Uh, here's the question. Last weekend's NFL Fox presentation of the Tampa Bay New Orleans showdown. Mm-hmm. Drew Brees, Tom Brady. I want to know, give me how many viewers watched that game. Viewers. I'll give you a little hint. Yeah, give it. Give us uh, a hint. It it was the most watched TV broadcast in NFL game since last February Super Bowl. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, interesting. So it's so it's in the it's definitely measured in the tens of millions. Um, I'm gonna go thirty million. Uh, okay, I'm gonna play prices right on you then. I'm gonna go twenty-eight million. You know something? You you said something last week, Lynchy, and you're right. Every time I say Lynchy, then you'll hear something <laughs> in my voice. Well, this time, Jason won. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know Third. what? It's, it's been a long time coming. It's been a long time coming. 35.5 million viewers. No That's kidding. an 18.1 uh, household rating. That's a lot of people. Yeah. But listen, I mean – it was a great game. Not great if you're a Saints fan, but uh, I, I think the the NFL. I mean, this is maybe a, t- a long topic for another time, but you know, Lynchy, as obviously someone who's watched Tom Brady more closely than just about anyone, I, I mean, he's gonna be. I mean, Jesus, he may never retire, but like, he's gonna yeah. be hard to replace, and those rivalries that he's created are gonna be hard to replicate as we go on. He's a special player, and people, whether you like him or don't like him, they do love to watch him. They do. I mean, he had a great rivalry going on with Peyton Manning every time the Patriots and the Colts got together. And then when he went to Denver, became the Patriots and the Broncos. And now we've got this third meeting this year with Drew Brees. And the funny thing is, it's not like uh, like Ali and, and uh, Joe Frazier or Chamberlain and Russell. They're never on the field at the same time. I know. But uh, <laughs> they don't go head to head. But but it is, it is a rivalry. And, uh, you know, two good guys and – you know, I think we talked about this uh, maybe in one of the other shows or something, but that uh, the, the little video of Breeze with yeah. his family yes. in the field with Brady and and Brady just touches that teardropper right over one of uh, Drew Brees' sons to his other son <laughs> yeah. in the corner of the end zone. <laughs> that was great. It was, that per- was, it was great. perfect. Oh, yeah, man. it was really good. Really good. Well, all right. Well, I'm going to just – feast on this yes. victory for a while Re- uh, retire jason just yeah, retire exactly. retire uh, announce your retirement right now from the no, from the number of the week number of the week is now canceled <laughs> by the way it's over. it's over we're not going to do it anymore all right you've been listening to bloomberg business of sports we're here each and every week at the same time plus online wherever you get your podcast you ever miss anything that we say just head on over to your podcast feed those drop newly on mondays wednesdays and thursdays and also find this on twitter i'm jason kelly Find me there at Jason Kelly News.
And I'm going to go right back and start try to get inside Michael Barr's mind again for next week. <laughs> and I'm a very disgruntled but a good loser, Lynchy at WCVB. Yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> and I'm Michael Barr on Twitter. You will never hear me say Lynchy again because I give away a lot yes, when I say do. it. So I'm I'm just gonna after you answer, Bite Jason. Your tongue, Barr. I'm just gonna let I'm gonna let Lynchy then answer after you. I, I, oh, you won. Uh, follow me at Big Bar Sports. You're listening at Bloomberg Business of Sports and Bloomberg Radio around the world. <laughs>